please stand to our feet in honor my wife, Noelle Murray, as she comes up to speak. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Taylor. How are you guys doing? Nice. Got a dab over there. It's awesome. That's awesome. Love it. You guys, it's our third night of camp. I can't believe it. It, go, it always goes by so fast, and I always wish that there was, like, a whole nother week of camp, but then I'm pretty sure if we had a whole nother week of camp, everyone would die. Like, we'd be so tired and grumpy, you know, and I don't do good when I'm grumpy. I don't know if you do good when you're grumpy, but I definitely don't. But we, we're having so much fun. Did you guys love David last night? So good. Like, that, like, blew me away. I wish that I could listen to that message every day, and I probably will be able to when it's on the podcast. So, hello. And we also we have the Venskys in the house tonight, local celebs. So glad you guys are here. Um, but I'm so excited to be able to talk to you guys tonight. And if you're taking notes, the title of this message is, I Can Work With That. I hope you're taking notes. I'm giving you guys the title early. I need to tell you a pet peeve of mine. I don't know about you, but I am a, I am a really organized person. Not really, but um, I like my notes to look a certain way. And it drives me crazy. Thank you, Brittany. When you're listening to somebody speak and they tell you like three scriptures and a point, And then their message title, because I want to put the title at the top. I want my format to be the same. So I'm just doing you all a favor. You're welcome. You're welcome. I'm thinking of you note takers. It's probably all you girls. Yeah, you're right. So write that down. I can work with that. You're welcome. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for just the privilege that it is to be able to be here. God, to have this time away, to be able to laugh together, to be able to stay up way too late, to get up way too early to have these encounters with you, Lord, it's honestly a privilege to get to do this. And God, we don't take that lightly. And we thank you for everything that you've done. And God, we thank you that you're not done and that you've got more in store for us even tonight. Even when it feels like, what more can you do? You're like, just watch. And so God, we just thank you for that. And we come expectant tonight. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, like Taylor said, we have been doing camp together for a while. We've been married now for 11 years. We just had our 11-year anniversary. I know. Fun fact, thank you, we actually got engaged at summer camp here at Cascades, (laughs) up in Timber Ridge. So all you guys in Timber Ridge in that like main room, that's where we got engaged. Talk about romantic, right? Um, It was awesome for us. I know that that's everyone's dream and maybe it will happen for you. Maybe it will happen at camp this year. You never know. God's crazy like that. But we literally got engaged at Timber Ridge. This is before engagements were cool and people did fun things for engagements. So it's for us, it was really special. Um, but Taylor and I, we've been married for 11 years. Um, we have two kids. I'm sure you've seen them running around, our daughter Hayden and our son Jude. Um, sorry if Hayden said anything weird to you. She's just going through a phase. It's awesome. <laughs> She's just discovering certain words that, you know, what do you do? I don't know. Um, I'm going to ask somebody who has kids, but, um, yeah, so Taylor and I, we've been married for 11 years and, you know, we're a lot different. He and I, we have lots of differences between us. The first thing that I said to him when I got up here as he was saying nice things to me is I leaned over and whispered to him, please make sure it's not too cold in here tonight because he's always hot and I'm always cold. He wears bare feet. I wear socks. 
Side note, I was recently harassed by some people who will remain nameless about the fact that I wear socks all the time. Do we have any sock sleepers? I wear socks to bed. Okay. Okay, 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 okay. Okay. I, I need your real attention. Okay. Show of hands. Who wears socks to sleep? Thank you. Thank you, Jay. Okay. I see you, Peyton. Lexi, thank you. Okay. Ethan, no. What? Put that away. No. Okay, so Taylor and I, he, I cannot sleep without socks. You guys. So last week when we had that heat wave and it was like 90 degrees, our house was like 120 degrees because we have no AC and it just gets so hot. And I was like, my body was hot. Like it was so hot just in our house. And I went to bed and I got in bed and I'm like, oh my gosh, my feet are on fire. You know that feeling where it's like a normal person would take their socks off. And I literally laid there in bed and I'm like, I'm not going to be able to sleep because my feet are so hot. I'm going to have to take my socks off. And then the Lord spoke to me and I had an epiphany. I can put my feet in cold water. So what did I do? I got out of bed <laughs> and I put my feet in a cold tub for 10 minutes so I could cool down my feet just so I could wear socks to bed. That's <laughs> that is my commitment. That is my commitment to socks. And you people who don't sleep with socks, you'll never understand. But the few of you who do, you get it. I don't know what it is I have to wear socks. But so Taylor, he, we're different in that way. He's always hot. I'm always cold. He always has bare feet, wears bare feet to bed. I, that Literally, the thought of that makes me want to hurl. Yes, I, I don't, you guys, you wear bare feet to bed. I wear, like, my favorite socks to wear to bed. I'm, I'm just being real with you guys. My favorite socks to wear to bed is not my normal, like, ankle socks, but, like, the big socks. You know, like, the ones that you pull up. If I, like, put those on... I'm feeling really good. I'm like, this is going to be a good night. I love it. I love it. Um, thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. You get me. But another way Taylor and I are different, I'm going to uncover him a little bit. I have permission to share this story, so don't feel like you're hearing some stuff that you shouldn't. But um, Taylor is an extreme overpacker. Do we have any other overpackers? Okay. See, I am actually the opposite. A lot... Okay. A lot of people, when they see us travel and they see our gigantic suitcase that you could pack for like three weeks in, and then the little carry-on one, they're like, oh, Noel, just have to bring everything, don't you? And I'm like, yeah. But really, it's all Taylor's stuff. And I ha like at camp this week, I have exactly four outfits, literally exactly four outfits, nothing less, nothing more. I have what I'm going to sleep in. I have what I'm going to wear every day. If something spills on me, I'm screwed. And that's literally how I pack. I know exactly what I'm going to wear. I plan that way. I don't want to bring a lot of stuff. Taylor, however, I'm sorry, brings everything, all the sweatshirts, all the shoes, the pants. I don't even know how he owns so many sweatshirts, has it all in the big suitcase. And we are, he's an overpacker. But you're not alone. You, let's get all the overpackers. Where are you? I get it. You want to have your stuff. You have choices. I just, I think for me, it stresses me out the idea of bringing too much stuff. Because I'm like, what if I lose something? I'm an under, where's the underpackers? Where's my people at? Thank you. Thank you. I'm an underpacker. Um, but what's one fun thing about having kids that we've been able to experience is that kids begin to inherit some of your traits. And that's always, you know, it's cute in some ways. And then in other ways, you're like, oh gosh, that's what I do. Um, certain things they say, certain behaviors that they have. And we're starting to see that now in our daughter, Hayden. She's almost four. 
and there's things that she does that are so cute where you're like, wow, I'm so glad you got that thing from me. That's, that's so great. And then there's things that they do that you're like, oh, Lord, I didn't know I did that. Like what Jake was just doing. They're just sick. They're sick to jerk. The clearing of the throat. Um, she got that from Taylor. But one of Hayden's things that she inherited from Taylor is that Hayden, as a almost four-year-old, is an overpacker. I didn't think this was possible for a kid to be an overpacker, but Hayden literally is. Everywhere she goes, she has to have her backpack, her purse, Hop, who's a bunny, usually Hop's bed also, because Hop kind of transitions between either being a baby who's in a bed or like an adult figure. But right now he's a baby, so he has his bed. And then usually there's a couple other stuffed animals. Right now there's a plane. And then within all of these things, there's other things. So like in her backpack, there's usually snacks and maybe a swimsuit and like a diaper. She doesn't wear diapers, but you never know. Um, In her purse, there'll be some knickknacks, applesauce lids, a bunch of broken bracelets, just a bunch of stuff. And she takes it with her everywhere. So Hayden had this phase a couple months ago where when this really kind of started to escalate was when she got her Elena of Avalor backpack. Now, side note, Elena of Avalor is an amazing Disney Channel cartoon. If you are in the market for a new show, highly suggest it. Great character development. The plot is riveting. Um, I mean, as far as kids' show goes, it's, it's pretty good. It's got a rockin' theme song. It's about a princess in Avalor. It's got a little mysterious, a little magical, but it's great. So she has this red Princess Elena backpack that she has and it's like a full-size backpack. It's not like a little backpack. It's a full-size kid backpack. So Hayden starts bringing this everywhere. And what started happening that we noticed is that it goes from being this kind of accessory that is this cute thing to actually this point of tension because Hayden had packed it so full of stuff that it was super heavy. Like, like so heavy that when she'd come down the stairs, she would drag it behind her. So it'd be like boom, 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 down the stairs. Like, literally, this heavy, heavy backpack. And then Hayden became just really, really protective over it. And it was really weird. Like, we'd be in the car, and she'd be sitting there, and if her backpack wasn't positioned in the exact right way, or if it fell, or if Jude breathed on it, she would freak out and, like, literally, like, just, like, lose it. Or she'd go to the park, and this is so funny. The first thing she'd do when she'd get to the park, like, we'd watch her. She'd, like, stand there and survey the land and find some place usually like the best place structure, to strategically place her backpack. Like it was very important to like, where's the place I'm going to put my backpack? And then she'd put her backpack there and she'd spend her entire time at the park, not playing, but protecting her backpack. Because all the other, and we'd be like, Hayden, if you put your backpack there, other kids are going to want to take it or they're going to want to play with it. And she's like, no, they won't. And then she'd stand there just like really protectively and really like stressed out. And then if she had a rare moment where she'd get down and decide to play and they're like all the kids, they're savages. They just swarm the thing. She just instantly runs to it and is like, no, and freaks out. And it literally actually became this like point of tension where her backpack was this heavy, burdensome. It started to smell. It had a hole in the bottom of it. And Hayden was so like mad about it. If you tried to touch it, she'd go, no, see, and she, like, it was honestly like, like, Lord of the Rings, my precious type thing. Like, she was so obsessed with it. No one else could touch it, and we're like, what is up with this backpack? And then what was the worst about it is it was honestly really heavy. I mean, she's like a small kid, 
and she'd wear this like huge, like, like adult-sized backpack that's like sagging on the floor. She'd wear it to the store. She'd take it to the mall. We'd go for a walk. She'd have to have her backpack. It'd make her super tired. She'd lose steam. It, it was honestly like really frustrating. So one night she goes to bed and I'm like, enough is enough. I got to figure out, I got to crack this case. So I did what any good parent would do. And as my kid was sleeping, I went through her stuff. And I go up to her room, and I take her backpack out of her bed, and I bring it downstairs, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to get to the bottom of this and figure out what the heck is in this thing. And I open it up, and I discover two things. Number one, the source of the weight is this purple, it's old, so it's heavy, Disney princess laptop. It barely works. I mean, it honestly, it serves no purpose. I'm pretty sure her grandma got it for a goodwill or like a garage sale or something like that. I mean, it's, it's gnarly, but it's thick. Like, it's not like a cute laptop. It's like thick and big, and it's heavy. The other thing I discover is that this laptop is not a normal laptop in normal functioning condition. It's actually coated in crumbs of food, because the other thing I found in her backpack was about 11 half-eaten Nutrigrain bars. And <laughs> so it's like this poof of crumbs when I open it. <laughs> And then her backpack is just coated in like this breading and the strawberry paste. And it's all over her backpack, all over her laptop. And I'm like, this is what she's protecting. Is she, she didn't want me to find this. So I'm like, oh gosh, what do I do? I can throw it away. And I'm like, no, I'll be a good mom. So it took about 10 minutes, pulled the thing out, got some Clorox wipes, paper towels, wiped it down, restored it, dumped out the crumbs, cleaned out her backpack, just got it all sparkling clean, zip it up, put it back in her room, stick it right next to her in her bed. I'm like, okay. So next morning downstairs, I hear her wake up. I hear the usual tradition of she feet land on the ground, grabs the backpack. I hear the thud, thud, thud as she's dragging it down the stairs. And Hayden goes, every morning she goes and she sits at the exact same spot on the couch. She has two apple sauces and she has to watch Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. And, um, I know. I mean, who doesn't want to do that? I actually look forward to it. I'm like, this is great. It's a good show. I get to have my coffee. We're in peace. So sitting there, and I'm just wondering, what's she going to do? Is she going to figure this out? Is she going to know that I mess with her stuff? So Hayden opens up her backpack. I watch her, and she's like, she always opens it very, like, sneakily. Like, she's like, like, wants to, <laughs> like, she doesn't want to, like, expose it fully, but, like, peeks in. And I watch her, like, from the kitchen, and this time she does that, but then is like a little curious and opens it all the way. And she goes, what happened? And I'm like, I don't know. And then she pulls out her laptop and she's so excited because it's so clean. And she's like, oh my gosh, it works. And she's pressing the buttons. All it really does is it goes like, welcome to my castle. Like that's the only sound it makes because it's literally broken. And she's so excited. And she's like, did you clean it? And I was like, I did. I found it. And she's like, wow. And she's so excited. And I sit down next to her. And I'm like, Hayden, I was like, there was so many Nutri-Grain bars in there. Like, what happened? And she's like, like, just basically, she didn't have an answer for me. And I was like, why didn't you let me, like, help you with this? And she's like, whiff. She says whiff, which is so cute. She's like, whiff, whiff, you find it, my bag will be empty. And she was so concerned because what she was worried about wasn't the laptop, it was that her bag, because she she's a hoarder, had to have this stuff in it. You know, she needed to have her laptop in her bag. And it was so cute because it was like, oh my gosh, she's literally been, it was kind of sad because it's like she's been dragging around this smelly, sticky, literally, like so gross, laptop. 
in this backpack and, you know, having all this tension with her friends, tension on the playground, tension at Costco, literally making her tired while she's walking. It's like this burden. And she's carrying it around everywhere because, all because she doesn't want her bag to actually be empty and have nothing in it. And I think sometimes in our life, we do this with our things that we hold on to. We hold on to things that, like Hayden's smelly, slimy, sticky, crumbly backpack, they weigh us down. They cause us to not be able to move forward in life. They put burdens on our shoulders. They cause us to have tension in our relationships. We hold on to things that almost become comfortable for us because we don't want to have nothing at all. And what these things end up doing that we hold on to is they hold us back. They hold us back from moving forward in life. They hold us back from moving forward with God. They hold us back from being the people that God has designed for us to be because we choose to hold on to it because we don't want to have nothing. I'm going to give us two things tonight that we carry. The first one is our plans and control. Matthew 10.33 says, If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. When I was a senior in high school, um, that was a, a pivotal year in my life. I remember it was a year where, you know, if any of you guys have been seniors or about to be seniors, you're feeling the pressure of what am I doing with my life? Where am I going? I have to now, as a 17, 18-year-old, make a decision that's going to affect the rest of my life. And that's pretty scary. And I remember being in that season, and I had no problem in my life surrendering my character to God. I had no problem surrendering my morals to God. That came pretty easily for me. But if I'm really honest, the thing that I really struggled with actually surrendering to God was control over my life. I wanted to have control. I wanted to be able to guarantee that I can set myself up for success so that when I graduate, when I become an adult, that I'm able to have a successful life. And if I'm being really honest, I think I didn't really trust that God was going to be able to fully help me with that. And so I want to take it into my own hands. And so even though I'd be praying things and saying things like, Lord, have your way in me. I give you my life. Really, at the end of the day, I was like, but I still want to make some, I want to make these decisions. And it got me to the place where as a senior, I had registered for college. I was going to SPU. I had my classes. I had my dorm. I went with my brother to my orientation. My parents were proud of me. I announced it. It was like a full-on thing that was happening, deposit down, all that. And the whole time that I had this decision, I had this uneasiness in my spirit. I remember it. I remember wrestling with that and feeling like, no, this is really great. It's on paper. This is literally my plan. I'm going to go to SPU. I'm going to get my bachelor's in English. I'm going to get a job as a teacher when I graduate. I'm going to, and then I'll do church stuff on the side. You see, because I also felt in my heart this call of God leading me into pursuing ministry. And that's a scary thing. And, but I was afraid to lean into that. And I remember I had this experience when I was a senior where I was at a conference. And it was the morning session. I'll never forget it. And it was like the session where everyone's half asleep. No one's really paying attention yet. It's just kind of like there's one person on piano singing a couple songs. And in that session, the Lord just dropped on me and spoke to me and told me in that session, I'm calling you to ministry. 
like literally like spoke direction into me and said to me that your plan is plan B that you don't need. And I remember in that moment realizing that I had the opportunity to either listen to God and know that it was him that was talking to me and, and leading me, but I also had the, the opportunity to decide that it wasn't and to say, you know, that was me. That was me in my head. No, it's fine. And I remember in that moment being like, no, God, I know this is you, and writing it down and making this life-changing decision that was me withdrawing from this college I was going to, that was me, you know, having to go home and tell my parents, hey, mom and dad, I'm going to go to Bible college. My mom put herself through college as an adult working full-time raising three kids. The most important thing for her was for me to go to college immediately after high school. And that, so that was hard for her to hear that I'm going to go to some small Bible college in Portland. And... Um, I'm here today because of that decision, because of the choice that I made as a senior to say yes to God. But this is the thing. I held on to so tightly the control that I needed to have over my life. Over, It's like I idolized my plan. And in doing that, it was this burden that I wore of feeling like it was up to me to decide everything for my life. It was up to me to, as a 17-year-old, have my 15-year plan of this is how I'm going to do it, this is where I'm going to go, this is exactly what I'm going to do, and it was so much pressure that I was honestly kind of crumbling under. But when I was willing to let that go, when I was willing to essentially have nothing except for, okay, God, here I am, that's when I was able to gain everything because then it was when God was able to create something new in my life. It was amazing. The second thing that we hold on to is our fear and our pain. We protect our wounds. I don't know if you've ever stubbed your toe and it starts to bleed under your, your sock if you wear socks like me. Um, <laughs> that's one bad thing, I guess, about wearing socks. Um, but I know for me when I've done that, when you go to take your sock off, it's like even though you know there's this wound under there, you don't want to take the sock off because you don't want to see it. And it's so funny to me how we protect the things that have hurt us, and it's in ways we hold on to them. And we do the same thing with our fears. I was in our a staff meeting a couple weeks ago, and we had this guest speaker, and he came in, and he was like, he's like, hey, guys, I'm going to give you all index cards, and I want you to write down your t five top fears. And we're all like, ha, 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 ha. And then we realized he was serious, and we're like, okay. So everyone, like, starts to write this down, and it was so interesting watching the atmosphere of the room literally begin to shift and I, I felt like I was kind of violating people's space because I just happened to be looking around when that happened. And it's like people were cupping their cards. They were like literally like cradling it. Like they didn't want anyone to see because if they saw it, then it's real. And it's so interesting to me how we hold on to the very things that hurt us, the very things that hold us back, the very things that are the actual thing that's causing us to not be able to move forward. We hold on to it and we protect it. We hold on to it. We hold on to pains. We hold on to that relationship that went sour. So now whenever we try to make a new friend, we immediately put them in that category and say, nobody likes me. We hold on to the guy that hurt us and then say, okay, I'm never going to get married. I'm never going to meet a great man. Why is that ever going to happen to me? Why try? You know, we watch things crumble in our lives. We see the mistakes that we make and we say, okay, I'm just a screw up. I shouldn't even bother. We hold on to these things and we begin to identify with them and we begin to walk with them. And just like Hayden with her heavy, smelly backpack, it became natural for her to have it everywhere. What's funny is that we got used to it. Like, we literally were like, oh, yeah, Hayden in her backpack. You know, like, I got used to the struggle at 
Costco when I'm trying to tell her, no, Hayden, you can't put your gigantic backpack in the cart with you because you have a brother who has to sit by you. We got used to it. It just became a part of our life until literally someone's like, why don't you just look into it? And I was like, oh, yeah. But that's what we do with this stuff that we hold on to is it becomes normal. It becomes something that we walk with. It becomes something that we just get used to slowing us down. We get used to it identifying us. We get used to it being something that we live with. And we learn to live with the pain. We learn to live with the weight. And what's funny to me about the story with Hayden is that what she was guarding, the thing that she didn't want me to see wasn't the Nutrigrain bars. It wasn't even her laptop. What she was afraid of was she didn't want to have what she said was nothing. She didn't want to have nothing. And sometimes we get so used to carrying these things that the thought of not having them is more scary than the thought of living with it. The thought of the nothing, the unknown, the who would I be if I, if I, would, if I wasn't this, you know, this jaded girl, who would I be? If I started to dream about my future and actually believe that I can be successful, what does that person even look like for me? If I didn't identify myself as this person who's constantly making mistakes, if I didn't live with this insecurity, if I didn't live with this fear, if I didn't live with this anxiety, who would I even be? And that thought of having nothing, that thought of being in a place of unknown is too scary, it's too ambiguous, so we hold on to the things and we let them weigh us down. We let it become a part of us. We let it become our backpack that we walk around with, that we take to the park, that we put before our friends, that we cause tension with, and it's just part of who we are because we don't want to have nothing. But here's the cool thing, is that God is really good at creating something extraordinary out of nothing. I want you guys to open your Bibles to Genesis 1.1. Genesis 1-1, this is the beginning of the Bible, the very first book, very first thing recorded in the Bible. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was empty, a formless mass cloaked in darkness, and the Spirit of God was hovering over its surface. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that it was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. I'm going to read that again. It's so good. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was empty, a formless mass cloaked in darkness. And the spirit of God was hovering over its surface. Then God said to it, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that it was good. He separated the light from the darkness. I think sometimes we feel like our life is this formless mass, cloaked in darkness, this ambiguous blob that what can we do with if we don't hold on to these things? And what the Spirit of God is doing is hovering over our life saying, let me create. See, God is a master creator. 
This is the first thing in the Bible that is spoken about God. It's not God's so mighty. It's not God is so powerful. It's God is a creator. This word create in the Hebrew and Greek, I'm going to read it for you. It's bara. And it's, it says with the preface, always with God as the subject to create shape and fashion. Listen to this. New conditions, new circumstances, transformations, miracles. When we give God space to create in our life, that's when he's able to do something new. We might not be able to see it because our eyes aren't able to see what he sees. Our eyes see our flaws. Our eyes see our burdens. Our eyes see our insecurities. Our eyes see the things that we walk through. And he sees it with the lens of creativity and says, wow, let me create with that. We see fear, he sees hope. We see brokenness, he sees restored. He looks at you through a lens of creativity and what can he do with that thing. But what's required for us to be able to walk in that is to give him space to create in our lives. He sees potential everywhere. And honestly, I mean, we see this all over the Bible. We see it in the story of David. He took a shepherd boy that was forgotten about and he anointed him and made him king and made him, he killed a giant and then was God's, a man after God's heart. We see this with Jesus and the disciples. He fed 5,000 people. He turned water to wine. He took these fishermen that were uneducated and he gave them purpose and he gave them hope. He's really, really good at taking nothing and making it into something fantastic. And he wants to do that with you. He wants to do that with your life. He wants to do that when you feel like you're in a place of nothing, when you're able to empty yourself of you, when you're able to get rid of the things that are holding you down, then he has the space to be able to create. But what he needs from you first is a willingness to empty your bag, a willingness to be able to be empty of the things that are pulling you down. I spent a lot of years of my life... um, totally disqualifying myself. You know, I, when I was growing up, I grew up in a very, very loving, amazing home. My parents are phenomenal people. My brothers are phenomenal people. I grew up in a, a great home. When we were growing up, though, our family didn't have a lot of money. And I didn't, I, it wasn't, I wasn't aware of this stuff until I was probably in, like, fourth grade. And I remember, like, we'd go to McDonald's and we'd get a Happy Meal, and my whole family would split the Happy Meal. And I thought, that's normal. Like, we all get one chicken nugget and a couple fries. And I thought, that's cool. You know, why wouldn't we get that? Like, we're happy we're going to McDonald's. And the newest car that we had literally until I was in the eighth grade was a 1962 Rambler. It wasn't like a cool Rambler that's like a restored car. It was like a a car that literally had like a hole in the ground that my brother and I would throw sunflower seeds out of as my dad was driving. And like, my friends would go on vacation to Disneyland and Lake Chelan, and my family would go clam digging at Ocean Shores and stay in a hotel room and all sleep on one bed. And I thought that was normal. And I remember in the fourth grade, I had a birthday party, and a bunch of my friends didn't want to come because our family didn't have a dishwasher. And so they all, they didn't want to come to my house because they're like, oh, that's so gross. You guys have to wash your dishes by hand. And I remember starting to realize, oh, like we're a little different. Like my family's a little different. Like my dad was building our house. It was, our original house was destroyed by this flood, so my entire family lived in my dad's music studio for three years, like literally this tiny studio the size of probably one of our cabins, like a cabin room. My whole family lived in it. It didn't have a kitchen. It didn't have a bathroom. We had to go to the old house that was like across the street to do that stuff. So anyways, I, for me as a kid, I just thought it was normal. But I remember as I started getting older, 
kind of having this awareness of like, oh gosh, I'm the smelly kid in class. Like I'm the weird one that's wearing the high waters that forgot to bring a coat to school because the coat I have is too small. And I remember that reality for me started to make me feel like I was different in a bad way. It started to make me feel like, like I might be able to be fun and like happy and make people laugh, but I'm still this smelly kid that lives by the river. And I carried that with me into junior high. And I started to, you know, become more self-aware and kind of able to look the part a little bit better. But I remember being a junior higher and being just so consumed with what people thought about me, so consumed with having an image, so consumed with just trying to look this part of this girl that was just like everybody else. I remember literally like when I was in high school and in, in junior high, it was really important to have like name brand clothes, but my parents couldn't afford name brand clothes. And so I remember I found this name brand thing at Goodwill and I remember cutting the tag out of it and asking my mom if she could sew it into my jacket so it would look like it was name brand. So if I took it off at school, no one would see that it was used, but they'd think, oh, it's from Abercrombie. Abercrombie's not cool anymore. It was when I was in high school. But, um, but I remember really walking with this like insecurity and shame of just kind of feeling like I might look like I maybe belong, but if people really find out, they're going to realize real quick that I don't. If they come to my house, they're going to realize real fast that I'm from the weird end of the river, that kind of thing. And I remember that insecurity that I held on to and walked with, it led me into some dark places. It led me into people that I shouldn't have ran with. It led me into parties that I shouldn't have gone to. It led me into decisions that weren't who I wanted to be. It led me into a rebellion against God. And I remember having this turning point when I was in junior high. My grandma passed away. And it was just this big moment for me of realizing, am I living in a way that is honoring to her? She had such a... a, a love for me and was so just held me on a pedestal. And if she actually saw who I was, she'd be so disappointed in me. And I remember it was this pivotal moment in my life. And I remember being at youth group. I went to a small church. Our youth pastor did an altar call. I always sat in the back and would just fidget and go to the bathroom as soon as they'd start doing that. And I remember sitting there, heart pounding, knowing this is for me. And I remember getting up. I was the only person that responded. And I had to come all the way to the front by myself. And I remember sitting there on the carpet, kneeling down, and just kind of having this moment with God of realizing things have got to change. I don't want to walk like this anymore. I don't want to be so concerned about who sees me, what I look like, my status, who my friends are, how popular I am. I don't want to be consumed with that anymore. And I remember that moment began in me this process of emptying my bag. The first thing that I laid down before the Lord was the thing that I knew right away that I had to, and that was these relationships that were putting me in bad places. I knew, I knew that that was something I held on to that was holding me back. I knew it. And I remember going home that night, calling my friend, being like, hey, girl, I love you. Like, I want to be your friend, but I need you to stop inviting me. I need you to stop including me in this stuff. Don't text me when things are going on. It's nothing against you. And honestly, I lost some relationships over this. I got a lot of, what the heck? 
Like, why would you do this? And I have this vivid, vivid memory of being at lunch. This is like a month after that encounter, a month after that phone call. And this is at a place where I had made some changes. I wasn't hanging out with those people anymore. I'd laid down those relationships. And I remember sitting at lunch, and I was outside, like sitting on the curb at my junior high with all of my weird friends from drama class. And they were, <laughs> they were like, we were all in King Midas together. And we were all buddies. I was, I was the star. I was King Midas. Just so you guys know, I'm a really good actress. No, I'm not. I'm, not a, I'm literally not. My skills stopped at seventh grade. But um, I remember sitting there and having this moment where I was looking around and I was seeing who I was with. They were good people. They were happy. They didn't bring me down. And I remember realizing that for the first time in years, I was at peace with myself. I wasn't sitting there thinking, who's seeing me? Who am I with? Am I with the coolest person? Is that person seeing how cool I am? Are they seeing how cool my clothes are? Are they seeing that I have money, even though I don't? Are they seeing the status that I've tried to build up for myself? And at the, for the first time in years, I was actually at peace with who I was. And I remember literally being like, wow. And what's so cool when I think about that is that that decision, that process of starting to empty in my bag, it was step by step. It wasn't all at once. It was this thing and then that thing. It was the friends. It was certain insecurities. It was things that were spoken over me. It was experiences that I had. That moment changed the trajectory of literally my life. Because I can say to you honestly that I had the best time in high school. Literally, like, I don't look back on anything in my high school years like, oh, it sucked. I honestly was happy. I had great friends. I had an amazing experience with church. I have a great relationship with my parents. When things started to shift, I was able to see things through a different lens. Instead of looking at my family and seeing what I didn't have and seeing that we didn't have a lot of money and we didn't have a nice car and we went to ocean shores and went clam digging for a vacation, I was able to appreciate the uniqueness of my family. I was able to see that my parents worked so hard to provide for us. I was able to see that my mom was, during that time, putting herself through college so that she could get a better job, so that she could provide for our family more. And instead of looking at what I didn't have and instead of focusing on the things that I thought made me weird, I realized that those things actually made me who I was. Those things built character in me. Those things are things that my brothers and I all laugh about now, that they made our family so close living in that tiny studio together. Now we're all best friends with my brothers. That's because we all lived, you know, in this tiny room together for literally three years. And I look at that now and think, if I wouldn't have made that decision as a junior higher, what would I would have walked through high school with? How would I would have carried myself? I would have stayed that person who was so concerned with my status who was so concerned with my insecurity, who was so wrapped up in what I didn't have, who I wasn't, all those kind of things, that it would have completely changed the choices that I made. It would have completely changed the next place I was going in my life. And what happened in that moment of me allowing God in is I was beginning to give God space to create. You see, God is a creator. God is a master creator. He looks at our life, and he sees, says, I can work with that. He looks at our mess and says, I can work with that. He looks at our past and says, I can work with that. He looks at our dreams and says, great, I can work with that. He looks at you and says, I can work with that. 
You might look at your life, and you might look at the experiences that you have. You might look at the things you don't have. You might look at the things that are in your heart that you're like, how is this ever going to happen? You might look at the fear that you have of failure, the fear of of missing the mark, the feeling that I had of, I need to be successful. I need to do this thing. How am I going to guarantee that? And God says, hey, let me come in and create with you. But it requires us letting us open our bag and empty it out before him. See, when I got to that place, when I was in junior high and I laid down those relationships, I felt like I had nothing. I literally did. My friends were everything to me. I had worked very hard to achieve those relationships and achieve that status. And I remember when I laid that down and kind of had to step away from those relationships, it literally felt like I had nothing. But that was truly when I gained everything. And God was able to bring in new relationships. He's actually restored those old ones. I literally was still friends with them, still friends with a few of them today. Because I was able to make changes and no longer did those relationships tempt me into bad things. But they respected who I was because I drew boundaries. And that's the thing is that when we put ourselves in a place of having nothing, that's when God's able to create and he's able to have space. Because the thing about somebody who's creative, the thing about somebody who is a master creator, is that they don't need a lot to work with. I felt like I had to have all of the ingredients. I had to have the pedigree. I had to have the experience. I had to have the money. I had to have this, you know, amazing story. I had to have all these things to be able to be worthy of God doing something in my life. But all God needed from me was a willing heart. I have this friend. Her name's Esther, and she's an amazing cook. If you know me, you know I literally hate cooking so much. Brittany, my friend, always makes fun of me. Because if I'm home alone, I'm literally going to have like a piece of cheese and a banana for dinner because I just literally don't care. I'm just like, I will eat to survive. But my friend Esther will come to my house and she'll look in my fridge and I'll be like, let's just order pizza. I have no groceries. And she'll see a pickle and like sesame oil and some noodles from three weeks ago and be like, I'm going to whip up something great and create this like Thai food dish that I didn't even know existed. And there's been so many times when she's come over and I'm like, whining in the kitchen because I'm like, I don't have anything to eat. And she's like, literally, Noel, get out of the kitchen. Let me cook for you. And I think sometimes in our life with God, he's saying, hey, let me get in the kitchen and create for you. Get out of the way so that I can move. Get out of the way so I can look at the ingredients that are in your life, so I can look at the things that are going on, so I can look at this stuff, the gifts that I've given you, the dreams that you have, the things that you've walked through, the things that you're holding on to. Let me create But we have to create space for that. And that space comes when we choose to empty our bags, when we choose to let God move, when we choose to let him in so that he can fill us. I'd like to invite the band up at this time. I feel like tonight when I was working on this just praying about this word and envisioning you guys here and thinking about just what God was going to do. The word that I felt like God kept saying to me was, I can work with that. And I felt like God was speaking that to me first because I was coming into, you know, camp feeling like, oh, I'm tired. You know, I've got this, this, and that going on. I feel, you know, I've got all this stuff. And I remember God being like, great. I can work with that. And I think that tonight, that if you could take anything away from tonight, it's to remember that no matter where you're at, 
no matter what's going on in your world, no matter what things that you've come into tonight carrying, things that you haven't wanted to let God in on yet, things that you feel like have disqualified you, things that you feel like have become so normal that you don't know what it'd be like to have life without them, that what God would say to you tonight is to let him come in and create. Let him come in and use his master creator skills where he performs miracles, where he brings something new, where he births something in you, where he changes things, where the trajectory of your life is able to be changed forever. And you might not be able to see it now. See, that's the thing with creatives is that somebody watching them, like when I watch my friend cook, I have no idea what she's doing. Literally have no idea. My idea of cooking is mac and cheese. But when I watch her chopping things, I can't see the vision. I can't see what she's creating, but she can. And oftentimes in our life, when we look at our situations, we look at the things that we've walked through. We look at our futures and we can't see it. We can't create for ourselves. And that's where God's like, let me paint a picture for you. Let me come in and move. Let me come in and create for you. I want to invite you tonight to close your eyes. Bow your heads. What are you holding on to tonight that is holding you back from giving God everything? Last night, Pastor David talked about wrestling with God, the wrestle. And we identified things in our lives that we were wrestling with, that we knew that we were going to continue to wrestle with. And part of the process of wrestling is the willingness to let God in and to give it to him. It's the willingness to say, I'm okay with the nothing because that's when you're able to do everything. I'm okay with the, the mystery. I'm okay with seeing the person that I'm, I don't know who this person even looks like that doesn't carry this stuff. But I want to be there so that I'm able to be who you've called me to be. I think tonight we have the opportunity to continue the work that God did last night. To be able to continue that process of his love, his power, sweeping in and picking up the pieces. But it starts with us being willing to give him space to create. I think what tonight God's saying to you is, I can work with that. You might not be able to see it, but he can. He looked at the earth that was a, a formless, empty mass, and his spirit hovered over it, and he created the earth. You might look at your life and feel like it's empty, that it's formless. That without the things that you hold on to so tightly, what do you even have? But the Spirit of God tonight is hovering 
over you, hovering over your life, saying, let me create. Let me separate the light from the darkness. Let me give you a new picture of who you can be. Let me give you a new picture of your life. Let me start letting those old things that you've been holding on to, let's let go of those things. Let's clean up the laptop. Let's wipe that stuff off. Let's start fresh. Let's create. Tonight, I want to pray for you. I think that there's some business to do with God in continuing everything that we've experienced every night of camp, the journey that Michaela spoke about on Sunday night or Monday night, the wrestle that David spoke about last night, and tonight the opportunity to give it to God so that he can create. Tonight, there's two people that I want to pray for, and that's those of us that are in here and that are feeling like you're holding on to something, and you know what that is, and you haven't been willing to give it to God. Maybe it's your plans. Maybe it's your dreams. Do you actually trust God with them to the point that if he said to you, hey, I want you to change that, would you do it? Would you change it? Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a, a pain that you experienced that you've been holding on to. Maybe it's a friendship that hurt you deep. Maybe it's a relationship with your family. Maybe it's fear of the future, holding on to grades and stressing about success, stressing about trying to make sure that you're going to have it all together to the point that you're crippled with anxiety. What is it that you're holding on to tonight that is causing you to slow down and not allow space for God to create? If that's you tonight, if you're holding on to something, I want to give you a chance right now to come forward to this altar. No one's looking around. And we're going to do some business with God up here.